Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Todd Hagopian and Kevin Hobby. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we are very excited to have our friend uh, Rex in the building. He was a former gubernatorial candidate in 2018 uh, in Oklahoma and currently serves on, I believe, the the Judiciary Board uh, in Oklahoma. Rex, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, it's um, Rex Lawhorn. You guys know me as Gov Rex Lawhorn on Twitter. Um, I, on Facebook, I also run Liberty Mountain Farms with my partner, Victoria. Uh, was a gubernatorial candidate in 2018. Since then, I am the chairman of the Rules Committee, and I'm a sitting member of the Judiciary Committee and the Convention Committee. That's so fair. I'm pretty much a jack of all trades. Chairman of the Rules Committee. That was the big one, I forget. Yeah, that's the hard one. That's the one yeah, seating up all the time. The Rules Committee when you're on the executive board. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Rex, we like to start all these programs um, with you telling us a little bit about your path to liberty. What got you from A to B and to sitting here today? Well, it was a crazy path, actually. My dad was heavy into politics. He was a Democrat politician back before I was born. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, he's local politics. Uh, He was a city judge and he was a police judge up in Kansas back in the days when they still had those. And um, so I was born into politics. It's been around me my whole life. My mom can't stand him though. So once my dad kind of retired and then he died when I was 12, you know, there was no more political interest, but I was still a Democrat. And then I went to college and learned a thing or two about how money actually works and uh, decided, no, man, Democrats are the wrong way to go and switched over to the Republicans. And I was, uh, you know, had been exposed to the libertarians back then. That's about 1988, 1990-ish. And, uh, but I ran into the same thing that new libertarians run into today. You're not a real libertarian because you're not an anarchist. Tear down the state. So I kind of just was like, okay, I'm not a libertarian and walked away. (laughs) But then I was reintroduced to Gary Johnson back in 2012. And I fought a Supreme Court case to get him on the ballot here in Oklahoma and ultimately lost, but that was my reintroduction. Uh, went to the convention in 2016 as Gary Johnson's proxy here in Oklahoma, and I have been rolling with the Libertarian Party ever since, hardcore. That's great. So officially part of the party since 2016. Yeah, 2016, just because that's the first time that it was legal for me to do so. Oh, yeah, that's right. So talk a little bit about the Oklahoma history, just so people understand that. So Oklahoma has a sorted ballot access history. They were back and forth in the 80s and 90s with having uh, ballot access because of the extremely stringent requirements. It used to require a 10% uh, result for either the governor or the president, depending on which cycle you were in. Here in Oklahoma, the cycles alternate. So every two years there was a test and it was a 10% test only in that seat. But in 2016, between my lawsuit and the work of people like Zach Knight, uh, Oklahomans for ballot access reform, they got the law changed to where it's now 2.5% in any statewide race. So we got it back in 2016 and we've been able to retain it ever since. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and, And it probably wouldn't be as fun a podcast if we didn't talk about how you and I met Rex, if you remember. <laughs> well, our first conversation was you trying to contact me through the gubernatorial race and me not knowing that you had tried to contact me. Uh, that didn't make it to me from my social media manager. So then you ran for chair in 2018. And I'm like, why have I never heard of you before? And as well, maybe it's because you didn't answer your messages when I sent them to you. Like, oh, <laughs> so, so right. right traded barbs for about an hour on Twitter yeah. and Rex uh, Rex put his big boy pants on before I did and said hey why don't you just give me a call <laughs> and <laughs> I think I called you on my way home from work and uh, yep. had a good long discussion and, and I think uh, have been friends basically since that day <laughs> yeah I mean that pretty much solved all my problems <laughs> and so it just kind of goes to show you you know the whole um, what you were talking about about how people you know, when, when that first 
discussion is you're not a real libertarian or you're not libertarian enough or whatnot. It's so easy for someone to walk away. But when you do open up that dialogue and have a discussion and you realize that, yeah, we might not agree on everything, but we agree on, you know, the 90% or at least the 80, 20 libertarian, you know, and, and you and I still today, we, we argued all the entire election night, you know, together, (laughs) but I mean, we still agree on 80% of, of the libertarian philosophy. Well, and even the things that we disagree on, it helps us sharpen our position, right? So if you're on extreme one side and I'm extreme on the other side, you know, we have that conversation and either you bring up points, you know, any rational person, there's no point in arguing with irrational people. But if you're arguing with a rational person, they are either going to further convince you that you're right because their arguments aren't going to hold water in your book, or they're going to convince you you're wrong and you're going to become a better libertarian than you were before. So those arguments are valuable. Yeah, exactly. So going on to that. So what today's topic is, folks, is we are going to talk about how to pick candidates and how to pick races to run in. Um, And this is a pretty broad topic that we'll probably cover more than once. But the main thing we wanted to talk about today are the different strategies that you can employ when looking at a statewide, you know, how do you pick what races to target, what types of candidates to put in those races and whatnot. And what are the pros and cons of those strategies? Uh, Because I know Rex and I have some different ideas. I don't know where Kevin stands on some of the ideas, uh, but I think it'll be a lively, interesting discussion. And this is more just for you guys to hear the different pros and cons, and then you take it back to your chapters and talk through them. Uh, But now is the time to be having these discussions about 2022, so that by the time it comes, you know what your plan is going to be. Uh, So I think we're all here in Oklahoma going to be talking about it in early 21 at the convention, you know what I mean? And hopefully making our plan for what 2022 is going to look like. Uh, So you all need to be doing the same thing. So Rex, kind of take us through some of the different um, things all the way from painting the ballot to being very uh, strategic and and kind of lay out the different strategies that you've seen. um, And then we'll start doing pros and cons from there. Well, the first one I really want to touch on is painting the ballot. And that's Primarily, it's the big one that's been nationwide, right? Because uh, Nick Sarwark espoused that four years ago and when he won his second term, said, "We're gonna, I want to see 2,000 candidates all across the nation. And uh, so that one gained a lot of popularity, right? Because there's this idea that if you have a bunch of libertarians on the ballot, it normalizes it for people. They see that name and they, they don't they're not wondering, you know, what is a libertarian anymore? They have become normalized to the fact that that's just one of the parties that's out there. Um, There are pros and cons to it. I guess we'll get to those later. But then there's the other idea that if you are not going to run a race that is going to be competitive, you are not doing anything but wasting resources for another race that is competitive. So there's that targeted perspective, or that's just paint the ballot and then pick what ones you can get. Uh, mentality and um they're well it's pretty dichotomous you can't really have it one way or the other you've got to pick a strategy and stick the only other one i can think of out there is to be strategic about um ballot access so not necessarily about uh races you can win but more about how you can target ballot access which is another form of a strategic one but it's just a different different philosophy i guess yeah, I call. I would say that there are two subsections of the same one. You know, there's the strategic one. You know, you pick the ones that you can win, the ones where the person running is unopposed. It's local. It's a low number of resources, low vote win total. Yeah. And then the other one is only running those where it's required to keep us an active party. Yeah, and we can even talk about that too because I think um, I've heard different ones where it's like, okay if you are going to be strategic, do you go after the ones where you have the most possible libertarians vote for you, you know, which would be bigger statewide races so that more people see libertarian on the ballot uh, and you get more votes, or do you go after, you know, the the city that has 800 voters that you might only need 300 votes to win um, and, and you get more bang for the buck, as you say, you know, a better ROI on your, on your road hours. You know, so let's start, let's dive into it. I think the most fun one to talk about is probably painting the ballot. But first off, 
Um, why don't you explain what that means just for people who don't understand it? So pending the ballot is the idea that you have a person running in every race humanly possible on the ballot just for the simple idea that people see the name libertarian scattered all over the ballot. Doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter if they're looking state or local, they see libertarian and it, it, it normalizes it for them that they can, that they recognize that this is a viable third option that they can have at all levels of government and that they're equal in every way to the Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. In All a right, nutshell. Thanks. Yeah. So, Kevin, give us your thoughts on painting the ballot before you find out where Rex and I stand. Um, I am very much against painting the ballot. I think that of all of our strategies, it's the worst because if you look at, well, you guys know, take the OKLP, for example, we have, or you guys have now, it sucks saying I'm not a part of it, but 15,000 registered libertarians, and there are 40 active members that are active in every campaign that are part of it, probably even less that are active in every campaign. And if you're going to paint the ballot with, you know, 20 paper candidates, you're diluting not only your money because you only have a set amount of donors, but you're also diluting your resources as far as those people, you know, you're going to go knock on doors for somebody who, you know, isn't even going to show up. It's just going to be you there. Um, I also think that it deludes our message because you know, if you go say you're a Democrat or a Republican or whoever, and you just see this, or even an independent, you just see this random libertarian on there that you've never heard of, you've never seen a flyer for, you've never seen a yard sign, that deludes the message of, well, you know, libertarians aren't real candidates. They're not real political, they're not a real political party. They're just kind of this fringe whatever. Um, so I, I am very, very much against painting the ballot. Yeah, and uh, before I give some of my opinions, which you'll straddle the fence and then and then Rex can come at those. But before I give those, talk a little bit about what a paper candidate is for people who don't understand that. So a paper candidate is a term for somebody that just pays the fee to be on the ballot and then doesn't do anything. They're, they're not a real candidate. They're just somebody that's there to put their name on there. And when you talk about painting the ballot, that's what you get a lot of. Um, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be active. They're not going to be out there talking to people. They're not going to be active on social media. They're just a paper candidate. They only exist on there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good definition. So, and here's, um, I will tell you that when I got into the party, um, I uh, made some effort uh, to paint the ballot. So that was one of my uh, things that I wanted to push on Twitter was to uh, and, and as you guys know, for three years or so, I was just a mouthpiece on Twitter. And then the last year, unfortunately, I've gotten much more involved in the party and now I do a lot of work. Um, but before that, I just talked a lot. And one of the things I talked about, though, was um, there are certain things that people are good at. Some people are going to be good at candidates. If you're one of those people, let's get you on a list. Let's put you in touch with the right people. And let's get you to run for something because we should have 2,000 people running in the United States. And and my thought was was that we could actually get good ones. So I wasn't thinking so much paper ballots. Um, as I got to understand it, I understood that that happened a lot. Um, but I do think that there is there is value in let's say Pottawatomie County in Oklahoma. You know, we had more libertarians, if I'm not mistaken, running than Democrats running in that single county. Um, so the people that did vote in that county actually did see more libertarians running than Democrats. And I think that was a powerful message to that county. Now they they happen to be not very, I, I don't think I would classify them as paper ballots. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, Rex, you know those folks better than me. I'm not in Pottawatomie County and I know you were out there a little bit to help them campaign. Um, but, uh, but I would say that did send a strong message. And if you could, maybe it's not painting the ballot all over the country, but if you can paint the ballot in certain counties or in certain target states, um, Wyoming and, and you know places like that, where we have a chance to really grow the party, I think that there is some value. Rex, what do you say? Oh, Rex, I think you're on mute there. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to derail a little bit and talk about why people vote for who they vote. Okay. 
number one thing is they vote identity politics. If they are a party person, if they are Democrat or Republican, and that's who they identify as politically, they are going to vote for that Democrat or Republican first. Uh, the second thing is going to be a position. If they are pro-life or pro-choice or something along those lines, that is their identity politics, and they are going to vote for the party that is most closely associated with that. So when I look at the paper candidate strategy, the uh, painting the ballot strategy, it does not satisfy either of those two things that people choose to vote for. The only value I see in painting the ballot is the fact that if it happens often enough over a long enough period of time, and the thing that they identify with themselves with politically betrays them over a long period of time, then they will take the time to go and look and say, okay, well, does the Libertarian Party have a better position on this than the people that I've been identifying with for the last 30 years? So painting the ballot is a long-term strategy that only is going to work in the event that both of the old parties betray the identity of each individual particular voter that we attract. Um, we are in a climate where that is possible as it sits right now, uh, you know, registering independent more and more and more simply because they don't see either the old parties identifying um, or supporting whatever their identity politics trigger is. So the thing is, we don't have a lot of people. We don't have a lot of money. That's like trying to wage a long-term war without supply lines, with an understaffed and under-equipped front line. Um, I do not believe that it is a valid strategy for the Libertarian Party, either nationally or locally. If it happens to work out like it did in Pottawatomie County this year, great, because everybody that was working in Pottawatomie County was actually campaigning with the exception of one. And they were all strong campaigns. Now, the interesting thing about that was of all the people that uh, were on the ballot for the Libertarian Party in Pot County, the one that achieved the highest vote percentage was the only paper candidate on the ballot, uh, Robert Murphy, the U.S. Senate candidate. And the thing is, though, he's been painting the ballot for the last, I don't know, I think last four Senate cycles, he's run for senator, U.S. senator. So there is a name recognition there. Um, and my other thought on the paper candidate is that we want people to vote for the Libertarian Party because they believe in libertarian ideals, not as a protest vote, not as something else, because that's transient, that's temporary, and that doesn't give us the long-term support that you need to be a long-term party. So um, while there is value to it for a party that has a lot of money and a lot of people that's trying to make inroads, it's not a good strategy for the party of principle. And that's what I feel about it. Yeah. And I'll counter a couple of things here. I think one of the things I saw this year that I was surprised at and felt disappointed in myself at was uh, in the 2020 campaign where I was running um, there were folks in Tulsa who wanted to do stuff, um, but I was running more of a online, you know, uh, using all my money for major media kind of thing. And the only people that were running on the ground were really the folks way out, way out away from us, right? You guys were out there shaking hands for Sadler and whatnot. Yep. Um, and I didn't even get out there because it was too far away for, for me and with all the stuff I was doing, uh, but these Tulsa folks wouldn't go there either. Um, and so I guess one of the arguments I would make is, yes, we only have a small group of folks dedicated to the cause. Uh, but one way that you get more people dedicated to the cause is you have more people running in more areas. Again, this is kind of the difference between advocating a painting the ballot with paper ballots uh, and painting the ballot with real candidates, which is what I was advocating for at the beginning, which, which admittedly it's harder to do and doesn't often happen. Um, right. Even if we do that, though, uh, if we're going to stick on the same line, you know, in my statewide race, 
I traveled to 74 of the 77 counties. And in those counties, I visited the largest population center in each of those counties. And I can tell you that in over half of them, even when I advertised a week ahead of time with targeted paid Facebook ads to the registered voters in those counties, uh, well, not registered voters, the people over 18 and less than, I believe 45 was the upper end. Um, Cause you know, the younger people are easily, more easily targeted. Yeah. Um, with the limited resources that I had um, in over half those counties, I still had zero people turn up to meet and greet. Um, and a lot of those counties I had between one and three and very few I had between uh, five and 10. And that was, those were always counties where I had a person on the ground who was active and working on my campaign that got those people to come. So, I mean, it's, it's even if you have quality candidates running uh, everywhere and you go to those events uh, without that critical mass, without enough people saying it, it still isn't going to make that trigger because we're not going to be perceived as viable enough uh, for other people to take time out of their day to go learn. And that's what it all is. American voters are lazy. They want to be spoon fed everything. And if you can't spoon feed it to them on their time in the manner they choose, they're not even going to know you exist. But that's just my perspective on it. And I think we'll definitely touch on towards the end of the episode. I definitely want to uh, re-loop on that and talk about what it takes to become a successful candidate at the different levels. I think that's an interesting discussion that all three of us have been having um, and other, other circles of libertarians have been having as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think at this point, I get it. You know, it's, there's, there's benefits to the paper. I, I think there's benefits to um, to painting the ballot in that more people see it, more people have a chance to vote libertarian. Theoretically, more people do vote libertarian uh, than would have if you didn't have people in those positions. You also have the opportunity for an unpopular politician. Um, so for example, if I was a hardcore Republican and I hated the Republican Senator, I'm probably not gonna vote for the Democratic Senator but I might mm-hmm. stick to the Republican senator by voting for the Libertarian, you know, uh, yes. vote the rest of the ballot Republican. So there's an opportunity to get a first time Libertarian vote that way. Um, do you do you ever get a Libertarian to vote again? Probably not. You don't never know. Um, but but I can definitely see um, where paper candidates, true paper candidates that aren't doing anything for the party and that potentially are wasting resources, especially a good point that you had brought up the other day. Um, was here in Oklahoma, at least, and other places are different, but here in Oklahoma, every one of these offices has a filing fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so if everyone's paying between $250 and $2,000 to get on the ballot, you know, all of that money can be better used uh, if we consolidate. And that kind of leads us to our next strategy. So Rex, you want to kind of lay out what strategic um, strategic balloting looks like? And let's start with kind of the winnable race strategy? Yeah, uh, in Oklahoma last year, I don't remember what the exact number was in the cycle that we just had in November, uh, something like 40% of the House and Senate seats that were up for election went uncontested. There was nobody uh, going against them. And sure, here in red state Oklahoma, what, say that again? 44 different races. Yeah. 44 races. So, you know, not quite yeah, about 40% of them then. Um, so if there is nobody in opposition, there is no campaigning that takes place with the person that's running uncontested. There's, uh, in some cases, there's not even an election if there wasn't a primary. Um, so having a libertarian on the ballot in that situation one gives people the opportunity to test. It has all the benefits of having the painting the ballot and it has the additional benefit of creating actual competition in that race. Um, If you have a strategic 
targeted race. Let's uh, let's take mine, Chris's, and Joe's race just simply because uh, it's the one that I know the most numbers from. Talk, to, but, talk about that race for a minute, just because there are going to be people listening that want to hear the part that you don't want to talk about, but <laughs> just right. talk, talk about <laughs> and that. And, so, yeah, in 2018, here in Oklahoma, three people were on the Libertarian ballot uh, on the primary for governor. It was myself, Chris Powell, and Joe Maldonado, a.k.a. Joe Exotic, a.k.a. what you mostly know him as, the Tiger King. Um, so there were three of us that were running. Chris and I were running uh, an actual contested primary, right? Because it's kind of that painting the ballot ballot strategy. Uh, it gives people an opportunity to vote libertarian one more time. Um, however, if you look at the final results of that election, uh, it was Chris, Drew Edmondson, and Kevin Stitt. Kevin Stitt won hands down. Drew Edmondson is relatively unpopular as it is because of his time as attorney general and such. So Chris was able to siphon some Democrat votes off of that. And he still finished with a relatively low percentage. Um, and this goes back to what I was talking about, why I don't believe in pending the ballots. The fact is people identify as Democrat or Republican. And if they got that option and they have no reason to say no, they're going to vote for it, whether they know anything about that candidate or not. And in that race, just in filing fees alone, we had to spend $7,500 between the three of us. Um, my total campaign spent close to $15,000. Uh, Chris spent less than I did. Joe spent way more than I did. And, uh, and this was the primary you're talking, essentially. Because you yeah, Joe. for the primary. Um, at the time of the primary, we had $7,500 in filing fees and close to thirty-five dollars to $40,000 spent in campaigning at the primary, yeah. uh, in which Joe, the big spender, finished in last place. Yeah. Um, Do you remember and, how many people voted in the primary? Way more than voted in the general election, I'll tell you that, um, at least for the Libertarian. Yeah. Um, we had more people vote in the Libertarian primary, which means they were registered Libertarians because we had the closed primary, right. than actually voted for the Libertarian candidate. For I might be wrong about that. Yeah, but I, think, it, I think Chris got 40,000 40, votes. So I think that it was probably about eight or 10 in the primary, but I can't remember. Okay, so it was, we did get more statewide, but you know, yeah. we are point, at the time we were like 0.2% of right. uh, the electorate. So the fact that, you know, there was a 25%, uh, we had 25% of the people vote in our primary that he actually wound up getting in the yeah. general election. Um, I'm not saying that right. Um, but you so I pulled, the, I pulled the numbers. Okay, I pulled the numbers. Um, so there were in the primary, um, and this is coming from Wikipedia, so it might be off a little bit. Um, the total vote in the primary was 3,558. Um, okay. Joe got 664, Rex got 1154, uh, Chris got 1740. Yeah. And the then, reason I was asking, that's good, because the reason, uh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just, uh, wow, they even have like the, the amount of money that was raised and the total spent and all of that on here. That's pretty crazy. Um, but but here's where it gets crazy. So in the primary between you three, there were 3,558 that voted. Once Joe was eliminated, only 926 voted in the runoff. Yeah. Rex and I talked about is that runoffs typically have even less uh, voter participation than primaries. So primaries are worse than generals. Runoffs are worse than primaries, at least in Oklahoma, the way they've they're mm -hmm. done. And there was uh, and an then, added element of uh, 788 was on the ballot during our primary also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then that, the reason I was bringing that up, Rex, is because you're talking $35,000, $40,000 were spent on 3,500 votes. And that kind of goes right. back to our, you know, how do you best 
target a race and use the available funds to go and win something or come close to winning something. So talk a little bit about, you know, what in that exact same situation, maybe. Um, in that exact same situation, there would have been enough money for a singular candidate, say it had been Chris or myself, to place seven major metro television ads prime time. And which, because we had to spend all of our time, uh, you know, running on a primary, none of that happened. There were lots of yard signs. There was lots of travel. There was lots of, uh, you know, speaking engagements to small audiences up to about 150 people at the biggest ones. Yeah. And that was with all of the candidates um, from all three parties. So if we're either going to be preaching to other libertarians or we're going to be preaching to the public. Our goal is to preach to the public is to bring them into the fold for them to recognize their libertarian values, their libertarian roots. So finding those races where people are unrepresented um, in one case, it's the, you know, singular uh, candidate on the ballot. There is no competition. Mm -hmm. Running in those races, people, if they do not identify with that other person, they're going to be looking for their options. And that gives you the option to proselytize, to, you know, get them, have you met my Lord and Savior, the Libertarian Party? Um, <laughs> so those are the options, the opportunities that we need to be looking for, whether it's in a race or whether it's on an issue. 788 is a perfect example. They loved Chris and I. Several of those people are now active registered libertarians that are pushing libertarian values. And that's because they learned from our campaigns that the libertarian party is the one that's not going to back down on this, you know, put weed out there all the time. The plant can't be illegal, grow it in your backyard, smoke it as you wish. Um, and so I so, think that was, uh, that's really cool because I think that shows one side of the coin of targeted which is get a gubernatorial or a senatorial or some one of the big races out there and, and throw all your weight behind it is what we could have done in that scenario. Take it and back. we could have made some big inroads, yeah. big investment in the future. And say, let's say you had a couple, three good candidates, pretend for a minute that Joe Exotic was a good candidate uh, <laughs> and pretend for a minute that all three of you would have been willing to run at a different level. Uh, of government um, willing mm -hmm. and able to uh, talk about how you could have taken those and targeted maybe three state house races and what that would have looked like with the same amount of money, assuming that that money was available for that type of race. Three state house races, we would have had three state representatives registered with the Libertarian Party right now. $10,000 is enough to win, especially a rural race in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, granted, uh, Chris uh in Bethany, but Joe was down there in Winniewood uh, in Garvin County. And uh, he could have taken that. I was in Tulsa at the time, but you know, I'm down here in LaFleur County now. I can guarantee you that all three candidates that ran for the state house down here in district three didn't spend uh, $10,000 between the three of them. Right. So, uh, you know, those targeted races at the lower level, uh, that didn't happen in Oklahoma because of our ballot access test. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, if at the time when filing occurred, the law had not yet been confirmed. It hadn't been signed by Mary Fallon um, to change the ballot access requirements. So we were still thinking that it's possible that we'll need the 10%. Um, and that it had to be in the gubernatorial race, which was the only reason that I ran. Right. Uh, I would not have run for any office. I do not like being in the public eye in that manner. Had I known that Chris was going to come in and he had been asked prior to me filing if he was going to run. And then he jumped in kind of at the last minute. Um, yeah. I never have figured out why that happened. Joe Exotic was just a fluke. He was just a random that came out of nowhere. <laughs> but, yeah. And we, uh, took, uh, we talked with Chris the other day and about the kind of wacky Oklahoma filing period and whatnot and how, but let's go to um, uh, the ballot access because that's the other targeted um, 
possible strategy. And so you were mentioning this. So we talked a little bit about get, get the big office out there and get the most people possible exposed to your ideas because you'll have some form of platform. We talked about the smaller office where we can take that same amount of money. By the way, Chris ended up running for a city council seat and won uh, basically by doing this, right? By, by hard campaigning, you know, in a very small office where he only needed several hundred votes to win. Yeah. Um, so that, that just shows, and he didn't have any of the kind of money that he had when he ran for governor. So it shows. Yeah. It, it was also a special election. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's actually up for re-election this coming year. So if you're out in the Bethany area, support your vice mayor, Chris Powell. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, vice mayor, by the way. That's good. Yeah, I already threw him a donation and told him I'd make phone calls again. Um, so, I mean, that, but anyway, it just shows, shows that you can win, at least in Oklahoma, um, in these local elections. And it's probably a fair point that the 44 races that had no competition that's not every state. Uh, so I was talking to folks in New York and they were basically like, that never happens here. Like we would never have that upper, that type of opportunity here. So that's not every state, but there are plenty of states where it does happen. And those are states where you have to take advantage of it. Um, but the third kind of strategy is to say, forget about the most exposure, forget about trying to win. We need to maintain ballot access because if we don't, then every four years we have this terrible fight and we have to put all of our energy into ballot access and we can't grow the party. Um, so for example, in Oklahoma, we'll just use this as an example, we have to get two and a half percent in a statewide race, which can be state executive, Senate, governor, president, anything where everybody in the state runs. Is that correct, Rex? Yeah, is governor, lieutenant governor, which are separate races in the state of Oklahoma. They don't run on a slate here. Uh, state auditor, corporation commission, uh, insurance commissioner. Uh, there's there's a whole slate of them, and also U.S. Senate and president. Yeah, and so, so. in in a state like that, um, how would you go about doing targeted if you were mostly worried about? ballot access. I wouldn't even run a governor or lieutenant governor. I would run a state auditor or corporation commissioner or insurance commissioner. And I'd put every penny of our campaign into doing that. Um, of course, depending on what the requirement is. Uh, here in Oklahoma, we do have the luxury that a lot of those offices do run unopposed. You just ran in, in an unopposed one with, against Todd Hyatt, the uh, the incumbent, uh, John Yider, ran unopposed against Cindy Bird, or Cindy Bird ran unopposed. So John Yider was able to pull in a significant percentage in that race. The insurance commissioner is often the same one. You know, we're kind of fortunate. If we are smart and do this, we will never lose ballot access again. Yeah. Um, however, um, you just mentioned that you were talking to a guy in New York who has got almost an opposite political climate that we do with the same problem. It's the fact that if you are in New York City, if you are not a Democrat, you aren't going to do anything. Right. But the second you get out of that uh, metro area, even up in Albany and out in Buffalo, um, it kind of flips to the opposite side. If you are red, then you are golden no matter what. Um, and it's strange. Yeah. They are blue out there. I'm, I'm not disparaging or saying that you're red Buffalo. I'm just uh, talking about upstate New York in general. Um, so they've got kind of the same opportunities uh, as we do. They just get to play with both sides of the coin instead of just one. You know, here we just have to hope that the Democrats don't run anybody in that race out there. It depends on where you are. And that you have that option. And then when you get into those statewide offices and they've got a completely different test up there, but uh, they do have the option for hybrid candidates to where you can be the candidate for the Libertarian Party and the candidate for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the Constitution Party or the Green Party. So they have a, much more of an opportunity to build coalitions up there. 
So it's not like the strategy is limited or unique to the state of Oklahoma. You just have to utilize whatever your ballot test is to maintain it. And if that means that you've got to, um, you know, build coalitions with other groups that are also underrepresented, even less represented than us, then fricking do it. Keep your damn ballot access and save a quarter million dollars in the next cycle. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point, and I wish I had read that article right before we came on. But I uh, there was an article that highlighted kind of the last three um, the last three cycles and how much ballot access we retained after the presidential election, like immediately after. Um, and I think it was something I'll get the numbers wrong, but it was something like low thirties after Gary Johnson's first run, you know, high thirties after his second run where we only had, you know, a dozen states that we had to uh, go out and fight for ballot access. And then now we're back down to low thirties after uh, Johnson's run. It's something I, I bet you I'm within spitting distance there. Yeah. Uh, but the important part is to your point, I mean, it might cost hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in every one of those states to retain ballot access. And we're six states worse than we were last time. So there's six states now that for the next four years have work to do that didn't have work to do last time. Yeah, uh, and that's going to wind up costing libertarians, you know, somewhere around half a million or more to get that ballot access back so we can be on the ballot in all 50 states four times in a row. Yep. And people don't understand that that, that half a million bucks comes from something and it, and it comes away from other things that we would normally spend. So when everyone's complaining that we don't have billboards and we don't have TV and national party can't help state parties and all this stuff, you know, the half a million dollars is I'm not defending national because I'm a big critic of national, mm. uh, but the, all the people that give money to these efforts are the same people that would be giving money to candidates and giving money um, to efforts, you know, throughout the campaign if they didn't have to work so hard to get us on the ballot. Um, and so the reason I bring that up is because I'm actually fairly passionate about this um, targeted uh, if you're going to target target on ballot access, uh, because I think we were talking, you know, briefly earlier, if you're in a state where the only thing that matters is the presidential candidate, then you should really think about that. Think about how many races you're going to run um, that basically take resources away from the presidential candidate. Um, we we had thoughts here in Oklahoma that maybe our races, myself and Robert Murphy's race, would help Joe Jorgensen, you know, because we were going to get more, more votes. Robert Murphy hopefully would do well in the Senate and I would do well in the Corporation Commission. And that didn't seem to bear fruit in the end. You know, I mean, we did not pull voters along with us for Jorgensen. Murphy outperformed her. Jorgensen performed worse than Johnson. Obviously, that was not an Oklahoma thing. Uh, and there were some other reasons from proximity of Johnson or whatnot. Um, but my point is, is, you know, if we were in a state where Jorgensen's performance was everything, we would have been much better off Robert Murphy and I not raising money and campaigning and both of us throwing our efforts behind Joe. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, politically, I believe you're right. But another thing to consider is the fact this was a record turnout year. Yeah. And it was a turnout year where you had two geriatric pedophiles, <laughs> financial criminals that were running for office. So passions were running high. So record turnout is always going to hurt us because we can't reach those voters yeah. who are typically disengaged that are getting inundated with millions and millions of dollars of targeted ads from the Biden and Trump campaigns. Uh, Jorgensen never was going to be able to get all of those extra voters. Yeah. She was only going to be able to get the people that were looking for the alternatives. So, I mean, she had bad luck to be running in this particular election cycle, but yeah, she wasn't near as popular as Gary either because she doesn't have the resume that he did. She had a good resume. It just wasn't an electoral yeah. resume like Governor Gary Johnson was. Sure. And I, I'm actually hoping that we end up getting a Biden-Trump 2024 because that would be fantastic to like 82-year-olds going at it <laughs> for a second yeah. time. Because I think it will be... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, don't think... think it'll be, 
<laughs> I don't think Biden makes it through his first term. I don't. I think they. I think they get him out of there. I think we have Harris versus Trump, <laughs> which won't be good. Is anything? <laughs> yeah, if all of this, uh, all of his mental problems wind up turning out to be a legit mental issue, he won't even make it through this cycle. They'll have him removed for being, you know, incapacitated. For right. Mental... Well, you can kind of you can kind of see the writing on the wall with that. You know, Pelosi was talking about the 25th for a while and everybody kind of just assumed that she was talking about it for Trump. But yeah. I believe that she was talking about it for Biden because, you know, she's more Biden is that centrist Obama type, you know, whereas he's not as progressive as the squad or Pelosi or Schumer or any of them. And so I think that they kind of Trojan horsed Kamala in using Biden and then they're going to, rip it back and say here you go here's progressivism yep <laughs> well let's talk a little bit last topic of the day is um let's say somebody wants to run right now rex and and so first of all everything we just talked about take that back to your state chapter talk through it try and come up with your strategy there is no right or wrong based on what we talked about but it's just different strategies to employ we don't know what your situation with ballot access is. We don't know what your situation with um, the number of folks who go uncontested is. You know, just analyze it all and be smart about what you decide to employ. Um, but should you decide to run, let's start talking about what that looks like, Rex. Who should be decide? Who should be thinking about running? You know, what does that, that candidate look like? And then how much money should they be trying to pull in for the various levels? And what does the campaign team look like? Because I admittedly, I'm just going to say it, I admittedly um, wound up being a campaign team of, of essentially one. Uh, and there were a lot of things that went into that, um, including getting laid off in the middle of the campaign and deciding that I wasn't going to raise money if I wasn't sure I was going to make it through the end of the campaign right. in Oklahoma and I decided to stay in Oklahoma and then I kind of kicked the campaign back into gear and by then I had lost the volunteers that I had brought on at the beginning you know what I mean and it is what it is um, but my point with that is is that campaign could have been wildly different had I had the right team in place and the right money in place at the beginning and not I, I raised a lot of money at the end and almost no money in the middle you know what I mean um, yeah. so talk a little bit about the decision to become a candidate how somebody should approach that and and what they need to be doing before that first day. So again, I'm gonna digress a little bit and talk about you know everything that we've been talking about so far. If you are running all three of these strategies in the same state, you're failing. I'm gonna tell you that right now. If you are doing this in your state and they are, do not have a cohesive strategy going forward, they're doing it wrong. Um, so the first thing I would say is contact your state party and find out what their electoral strategy is. They are either running an educational campaign where they're going to try to paint the ballot and get everybody out there and just spread the libertarian name and message far and wide, or they have a strategy where they are running strategic races and they are trying to actually put people into office. Um, because that's going to determine the kind of support that you have for your campaign. Uh, here in Oklahoma. For a quick second. So just, sure. to, just to be clear, let's talk about Oklahoma just so people understand. Our strategy was ballot access this time. And then, and then we had one very good opportunity to take a head on, uh, a head, a head to head for a state. Was it state Senate for seven? Uh, yeah, state Senate 17. Senate. Yeah, yeah. So we, we had two head to heads actually out there. We had a local county auditor or something for Bud, um, and then and then the state senate head to head for Sadler, and then myself and Murphy ran um, ran statewide, and myself ended up being head to head, which was awesome because then we basically had ballot access, but but we didn't know for sure. You never know when you when you file if somebody's going to file an hour after you. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea was, is myself, Murphy and Joe, one of the three of us was gonna have to get two and a half percent, right? So we were giving ourselves three chances. 
um, to get to that ballot access line. We all thought Joe was going to do it. We wanted some backup plans. Um, and so we put backup plans in place. That was basically the Oklahoma strategy. Don't know how well defined it was, you know, prior to um, a week before. It probably could have been more well defined. I don't know how right. well defined it was. I know I didn't get asked to run until the week before. Actually, I was asked long before that and said no. And then a week before I said yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but my point with that is, is even we, you know, ours worked out well. We could have been much more prepared. And so I like the advice you're giving. Uh, and again, Oklahoma now is, is planning on tackling this in the first quarter of 2021 uh, in preparation for the 2022 election because we realize how important it is. All right, keep going. Yeah, so you say before that first day and before that first day, beginning with your state executive committees or your central committees, however your state's organized, and make sure that they have a campaign strategy in process. If they don't, I would say forego the race that you're planning on getting in unless it's a ballot access race and run for state office and get that organized because that's where it all starts. And state office, you mean inside of the party? Yeah, run for your state chair or vice chair or whatever it is, anything to put that voice on to give a strategy and a message going forward so that the 10 candidates that run next cycle don't come into a morass with no support. Yeah. Um, but assuming that you have a good strategy, you know, you yourself have got your own thing going on, uh, assemble your team, find out, gauge the level of support that you're going to have within the party, depending on what level it is. If you're local, see if you've got two or three people that are going to be willing to go door knock. If you are running for a state district, whether it's Senate or House or assembly person in Nebraska and California, uh, whatever the situation may be, uh, make sure that you have people in each of the areas that you're going to be representing. Uh, for instance, if you are in New York City, make sure that you've got at least a leader, not just a follower or a volunteer, a leader in each of the boroughs, if you're running for something that's citywide, running for New York City mayor, um, because you cannot do it yourself. And I tell you this from experience. I was running a ballot access race, but it was also an informational race. Um, we were trying to get the message out to as many people. Oklahoma is a big state. Um, <laughs> I put on 40,000 miles on my vehicle alone during that race. I also drove two other vehicles during that race for a substantial part of it. So uh, you are not going to be able to reach out to everybody. So you have got to have a staff in place that is going to be able to answer your Facebook messages, answer your Twitter messages, answer your web page. Uh, uh, what are they called? The inquiries that come into your web page, emails. You have got to have a person that is going to be able to answer for the media in all of your major metro areas. Uh, here in Oklahoma, we have Tulsa and Oklahoma City. It's impossible for me to do an interview on KRMG in Tulsa and then be in Oklahoma City to do an interview 30 minutes later over the lunch hour. And that's when your interviews get the most playtime. That's when they get heard. So you've got to have someone, if you are trying to win, you've got to have someone that can take up your slack for being only one person trying to service 1 million, 5 million, 10 million people. Um, so you've got to have your leaders in each of the areas. You've got to have people who can respond to the public. You've got to have your public relations department. And then you've got to have your campaign manager, the person that can schedule and organize all of the activities that are going on. In my race, we had one organization that put on seven debates statewide over the course of the cycle. On top of that, each of the localities um, in each of our 77 counties also put on campaign events because it's a big deal for Oklahoma, right? That's our off cycle. So when you have a campaign event that's going on in the eastern half of the state, then one that's going on in the southwest, and then one that's going on north central up in Enid, you can't be at all three of them. You've got to have a proxy that's going to be there that can at least table and put out your literature. So that's going to be the responsibility of your regional managers um, 
or in the event of a local race, you know, your precinct managers uh, that's going to be able to be to each of those events. So, and then the fourth big thing that you're going to need is a fundraiser. You need someone who is spending all of their time dedicated to bringing you money. Um, because again, it's not something you can do. And ask from somebody else is always going to be stronger for you than you asking for yourself because you get lent their credibility. So in my particular situation, whenever there was a problem where I needed to raise a lot of money in a hurry, I had Erin Adams. She was my campaign manager. She went and asked. Uh, she made the ask to the people with the dollars for me. Um, the other uh, scenario, I had Larry Sharp fly in from New York to do an event in Oklahoma City because he's a celebritarian, right? Uh, and he didn't ask for me in Oklahoma City. That was my single largest attended event, and it was my single largest fundraising event. Oh, wow. And it was because Larry lent me his credibility. We know we need to spend more time working together. Uh, somebody wanted me to throw an event for them and come do and ask for them, I would be more than happy to do so. Even at our state party, um, Joe Jorgensen did not ask when she came and visited our state convention where it was expected that she would ask. She didn't do the ask. John Phillips and Aaron Adams did the ask for her. So you are always going to have more success and be able to raise more money if you've got other people raising the money for you than you will doing it yourself. Um, barring any of those things, barring having those people, you do have to do it yourself because you can't slack on any of those four areas um, and count on having the type of success that you want. So you can't ignore your social media. Uh, approximately 40% of the people are either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, they're on it actively and that's where they do their research. That's where they get their information. And it all has to channel back to your webpage that has all of your detailed specifics because if they can't find the information they want on your Facebook post and they go to your webpage and they can't find it there, they aren't gonna reach out to you. They're not gonna ask you. So uh, yeah, those four areas, that's what I would say that you need to put in place before you make the decision to run the race is how you're going to handle your fundraising, how you're gonna handle your social media, how you're gonna handle your scheduling and how you're gonna handle your proxies, how you're gonna handle your footprint coverage. Um, so that's what you need to walk into with day one, how you're going to do that, or you're going to be chasing your tail the entire campaign. And I think it's a, it's a really good discussion because what you just heard was the difference between a paper candidate and a good candidate, you know, and a, and a good candidate can still only pull 2% or 1%, you know, in Jorgensen's case. And, and I mean, a good candidate can still have a bad election. And even those good candidates are doing all this stuff. So if you want to be a great candidate, you really need to, I think Larry Sharp probably said it best in his uh, podcast post-election where he basically said, and I, I don't have the numbers, but if you want to run for state house, you need this much in the bank on day one, and you need this many people at your meeting who are signed up to run um, with you. And you need to be willing to work this many hours. And he basically had it broke out for each level of essentially government, you know, so state house race, you need to be able to campaign 16 hours a week yourself. If you're working 70 hours a week right now and you don't have 16 hours to campaign, don't run because you'll be doing us a disservice. Let somebody else run and you volunteer your five hours a week to them. You know, that was as blunt as he got. And, and he, and his message was clear. His message was, we have to stop doing paper candidates. We have to start running strong campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always had trouble with some of that. I've, I've, um, I've just had trouble with the thought that no one can run unless they can be, you know, that dedicated. But, but at the end of the day, that's who wins these elections are the people that can put in this amount of time and money and have people behind them to do all the stuff you just talked about. So I think it's a valuable, valuable discussion. Kevin, what are your yeah. thoughts? Uh, just to piggyback off of what Rex said, I think that you need to have all of that, but you also need to add in, you need to really, really look into the numbers and see if you're in a winnable race. Because um, 
you know, I was looking at running in District 99, which is uh, one of the rare districts in Oklahoma that is, um, it's been a Democrat running unopposed for, I think, six cycles now. Um, A.J. Pittman is the current rep. Um, she was convicted of shoplifting during her last campaign in the middle of it and still won because nobody ran against her. Um, and so I had all of that. I had people behind me. I had the money in the bank and I was ready to go. And then Chris set me down and was like, hey, look, have you looked at the numbers of this? Because you're trying to run in a district that's 81 percent Democrat. You will never on win. Top it doesn't of that, matter AJ how much money you have. Popular incredibly incredibly popular um yeah and she is a deceptively good speaker whenever you see her like out and about she's not she's not that good but when he, when she gives speech speeches she's really really good and i think it comes from her mom because her mom is a very very um well established democrat in oklahoma um and, her and has been around for roads too yeah. Um, so, you know, you just have to sit there. You just have to accept that maybe you don't, maybe even if you have all of those things, the race still isn't worth it. So for me, it was more worth it to support other campaigns and do things like that, like Chris's campaign or Chad's campaign yeah. Yeah. and things and like that. that. So you really have to Keep just going. what? Uh, I was just going to say the, uh, the, the important part, I want to jump in on that is just that the goal doesn't always have to be winning, right? But I think what you're what you're saying and, and what you're getting across is you need to be you need to have realistic goals. We all too often as libertarians have somebody come to us in the party and say, I'm gonna run for Senate and I'm gonna win. You know, um, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody nobody's ever gotten more than, you know, 33% and that guy was running head to head. Uh, so, so you might not come in and win as a libertarian if you're running for the U.S. Senate, you know, so, but let's set a goal. Let's figure out if you're happy enough with that goal, you know, and set a realistic goal and decide how to hit that. So, you know, my goal was to get over 300,000 votes and we found a way to do that, you know, um, and, and there might've been some other goals that I laid out. There were some other goals I laid out that I didn't get to. So we, we hit certain goals and we didn't hit other goals, but we knew kind of what those goals were going into it and I decided ahead of time that it was worth it to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think the important part that you're talking about is, is do enough research on the race that you know what your goals are and that you're going to be happy if you hit them and that it's a worthwhile endeavor. Is that right? Well, not, well, not only that, but also where I was going with, with what ended up happening with me is you know, we all want to advance liberty. That's the thing. We want to advance liberty, you know, in our lifetime. That's the goal. And so what I what I came to the conclusion of was it wasn't worth me to invest 40 hours a week and all of this money and then all of my resources and have all of my friends and everybody out campaigning for me to get 3% of the vote in a district that I wasn't going to win. It was a lot more productive for me to support these city council candidates and these other their candidates and that's how I help the liberty movement I you may not be the face of it but you can do something and so that's what I was trying to get at you need to figure out if your goals are realistic and if your time would be better spent doing something else yeah I made I made 120 calls in an Einstein bagels uh, <laughs> for Chris Powell's campaign I just sat there one day and made 120 calls they were probably so annoyed because I left the same message probably 85 times, <laughs> um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, that, that three or four hours right there was probably uh, did more help to the Liberty movement um, than my school board run did, you know, back, back then. Um, and so and it still pays dividends today. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, now he's, you know, he's an elected official. He's running for reelection. He's going to win, you know, and then he'll he'll have years and years of being an elective official because of that first campaign. So. And, you know, from what both of you just said, there's another message that I would like to give your audience. And uh, I you'll have to forgive me for being a little crass when I say this, but all of you people out there listening that are wondering why the Libertarian Party isn't advancing. 
if you are not helping your candidates, if you are not donating to your candidates, if you are not telling your friends, family, you are the reason that the Libertarian Party is not advancing. Get off your ass and do the work. Yeah, and I think I've heard Rex say the words, do the work, you know, a hundred times. And that's one of the things that I like most about him is it's what we have to do is realize that there's lots of work to do to go from a 1% party to a 51% party. Um, and that work is not all going to be at national. It's going to be at the local levels first. You're not going to win president before you win a Senate seat. You're not going to win Senate seat before you win a state house seat, you know, and that, and guess what? We just won a state house seat, right? We cracked through one of the ceilings uh, that we had done way back when, but it's the most recent one. Um, and, and now we're breaking through and we've got a chance, but we have to win at the local level. We have to get involved, understand your state party, understand their strategy. If they don't have a strategy, run for something inside the state party and come up with the strategy. And then once you do that, get the right candidates into the right races and drive liberty forward by either winning or, or driving issues and, um, and votes our way. Anything else you guys want to add as we, as we kind of wrap up and then we'll let Rex give everybody all the different ways they can find them. The only other thing that I would add Nothing. to that is if you do not want to help a politician, if you do not want to help a candidate, help an issue. Yep. If they are pushing to legalize weed in your state, go help them legalize weed. If they are decriminalizing uh, mushrooms in your state, go help them decriminalize mushrooms. If they're doing criminal justice reform and putting families back together, go help them do criminal justice reform. Lobby your senators, lobby anybody. Um, just speak, do something, do anything. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Kevin? I don't have anything to add. I think we've really wrapped it up. Awesome. Well, Rex, tell everybody, assuming you want to be found, how they can find you and how they can interact with you. Oh, you can find me on Facebook under my name, Rex Lawhorn. You can find me on Twitter under my name, GovRexLawhorn. Uh, at GovRex Lawhorn. I'm on Instagram, but I don't do much on there. But mostly you can find me on Liberty Mountain Farms, uh, Facebook, Liberty Mountain Farms, uh, Instagram, Liberty underscore Mountain underscore Farms, or on our Patreon, patreon.com slash LMF. That's where we're spending most of our time online these days. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is an awesome discussion. Um, obviously, we're going to have you back on for other topics down the road. Uh, so anytime something strikes you, reach out. We'll get you on here. Awesome. You guys are two of my favorite libertarians on the whole planet. So <laughs> I'm always happy to have a conversation <laughs> with you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Same here. <laughs>